It's Friday, December 16th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 427 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour and one minute. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. That's an empty chair. And my name's Chad. Yeah, and if you guys hear a little bit of jingling in the background during this episode, it's because we've had a dog come into the room, and when I tried to push him by the butt out the door, he just sat down and laid down, and he weighs like 90 pounds. So we're just going to let that roll. Anyway, quick announcement is an episode or two back, I mentioned that the first half of an interview that I did with Jim McClure, where he was kind of asking me about the man behind the mic, you know, what is it really like doing Fear the Boot and what is my life like even outside of the podcast? It was a really great interview. It's in two parts. Wait, wait, wait. Did you talk about me? Yes. Yes, I Damn it. Now I got to listen to it. (laughs) you, man. Ah, damn it. But the first half is already released. I'm going to link that in the show notes. And I am wagering that by the time this episode drops, the second half of that interview will also be dropped. Do you mention me in the second half? I'm pretty sure I do. God damn it. Now, now is <laughs> so, this on his podcast? It is on his podcast. Okay. So Jim McClure does something called Talking Tabletop, which is a kind of behind-the-scenes lounge-style show. that Like is, with lounge music and oh, you know, yes. cougars and stuff oh, and dirty martinis? So I, I Dirty always, cougars and martinis. Yeah, I, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to be a lounge singer. I bet. You've got the greasiness for it. <laughs> <laughs> but his show is attached to... The one shot networks, like you know, the uh-huh. one shot RPG. Is that the one we're podcast. part of? No, we're part of RPG Academy. Oh, no, we're better than <laughs> that. Why did you go to a is competing... that the one we're part of? <laughs> yeah, you can tell. I don't follow these things. You know, I'm, I'm the talent, I'm the face, I'm just the good looks that draw the people in. I don't even know any of that business stuff. You are a handsome man. Why, thank you. Yeah, it's it's like asking a stripper at you. about yeah, the, you know, I. I let you put a few drinks in me. See where it goes. So anyway. See if I get a bro job out of it. If you want to hear that show, which it was some really good discussion about topics I don't think I've discussed anywhere else. So you can catch that. I'll link to the first half off the show notes. And I'm 99% sure the second half will drop by the time this show drops. So I will link to that as well off of the show notes. All right. So we're going to skip over any side topics because... We got a topic today that has a lot of facets. I think even devoting a whole episode to it, we're probably just going to scratch the surface. But I'm okay with that, Chad. Why don't you go ahead and set it up, and then I'm going to flush it out into its many facets. And- okay. So I am playing XCOM 2, right? Uh, which is the sequel to the remake that they did. Yes. Uh, they had a, the Autumn Steam. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Sequel to a remake. Correct. Yes. Back in the 90s, oh. there was a game called... We need, like, back-in-time history music. You know, yeah. <laughs> back in the 1990s, there was a game called XCOM, which, depending on oh your country... God, was so e- good. ...was either called UFO Defense or Enemy Unknown. And that was followed up by XCOM 2, which was terrible, which was then followed up by... I'm going to skip over some of the games. Terror here. from the Deep. Terror from the Deep yeah. was XCOM 2, which was yeah, terrible. Yeah. And the next game that I actually liked, in fact, I am hoping they remake with modern technology, was XCOM Apocalypse. Because Only if Paradox Games picks it up. Because it introduced a lot of elements of 
human to human politics and things like that that I thought was just awesome. But that game is too esoteric. It will not get picked up in the uh, modern day setting. I you know, don't, or if it will, it maybe, will not be what you want because they have hinted at it. There are some yeah. things they have said that hint at. Or do you just really want it so bad? I think it's seen. both. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there are Easter eggs in there that are yeah. nods to XCOM Apocalypse. Sure. And I think some of it is I want it so bad <laughs> that I, I'm... Yeah, I, you saw it in your Unajidan that you yeah, ate Yeah, I'm, I'm hallucinating yeah. it. <laughs> I, I just follow it around the house at night. But <laughs> what they did was all these years goes by and people wanted it, but I guess they couldn't get the rights to it or something like that. And they did some spinoff games that, to be honest, really weren't all that good. And they finally got the rights back, and a couple years back, they restarted the series and, using modern technology, re-released the game, XCOM, and I believe they just called it Enemy Unknown. And somebody did and never finished this XCOM project? Yeah, well, so what happened was I I did the XCOM saga a couple times, fully through on that one, and it got an expansion called So uh, what is the XCOM saga, real quick? It's... XCOM Saga, real quick, is basically it's a telling of... It's erotic fanfic set in the XCOM world. Yeah, it's basically the XCOM told with people that I know, and they have an opportunity to contribute RP to develop what's going on at the base and such between the missions. It's really actually quite good. And the second XCOM game... And I killed Johan in it. (laughs) He did. Yeah. He's coming right at me, so... He was. Mm -hmm. But, so in the second game so the first game was very successful first of the reboot games was really successful so they came back and made a second one that actually takes a fairly interesting approach to the game which is that they take the approach unlike all the previous XCOM games where you win where you win that takes the approach you lost you're the insurgency and you are now the insurgency against the aliens which run the planet, you are, so to speak, the invading force. Right. Mm-hmm. And That's why I loved the role-playing game setting Midnight. Mm. So uh, that is the setup to XCOM 2, right. which I need to get back to and finish because I got sidetracked from by a bunch of stuff, and then I was waiting on the DLCs and blah, 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 excuse, excuse. Mm-hmm. But, Chad, you are currently playing it. Yes. So, excuse. so, so just so everyone knows, this episode or these maybe couple of episodes are not about XCOM in any way. They're not about XCOM. XCOM is just a placeholder. Yeah. What got us thinking about it. When you play a video game, there's challenge, right? You know, and in the majority of at least modern video games, they start out very easy. The challenges you face are, are very simple, but they're training you. It's like, you have to press this button. You have to press this button to jump and this button to fire. So they don't want like, Godzilla stepping on you yeah. when you're trying to figure out how to move. So the the ramp up is easy and it gets harder and harder and harder, and more challenging because you're you become more skilled at the game. And if there's RPG elements, you get you know better stats and better gear and stuff. And so they have to meet that power creep that you have with a challenge creep that is not a bad thing. It's part of the game. It's part of the game. The, the game just gets harder and harder and harder until there's this final boss or final conflict or whatever. Most video games are like that but not all of them. XCOM takes the opposite approach. XCOM starts out exceedingly difficult. Because, yeah, the way XCOM starts out is you have a handful of people that are not all that skilled, that are wildly under-equipped, that are wildly underfunded, mm-hmm. and as the game goes on, 
The aliens do increase the threat. They send out increasingly dangerous strains of aliens against you. They attack you with greater ferocity. But if you're playing the game well, your soldier stats, your infrastructure, your economic inertia is actually outpacing the aliens by a bit. That little bit by little bit by little bit, Mm -hmm. pretty soon, the aliens, unless you're being stupid are not a really, really meaningful threat right. to you. I mean, they are dangerous. Sure. They can still kill you, but it's not nearly as hard as the game was when you were just a bunch of schlubs with cheap over-the-counter yeah. assault rifles and whatever. Yeah. So I, when I started the game, the tutorial mission, the mission that says you have to click on this to click here to move, you have to click on this button to shoot, the tutorial mission... I think everybody but one person dies. I had to restart it five times... And on the fifth time, I had to get online and read a guide on how to beat it. It is very hard. Now, of course, there's some nerd out there, because we're all nerds. They're like, oh, I beat it the first time with a zero losses. You're just suck at the game. It's like, well, congratulations. But it is really, really hard. Yeah, see, I've already cashed out. Right. When when I when I've restarted it the third time and got annihilated, yeah. that's when I was like, well, huh, and I'm does, never gonna get this it, money it, back. <laughs> it does have difficulty settings. And there are also with XCOM two, they did put in a modding thing to where in addition to toning down the difficulty overall, if maybe you like the difficulty to some extent, but you just find certain elements right. too challenging, you can slap on a mod that will tone down Not, one I, or I, two. I, I don't want to get too ahead of the topic, but yeah. I mean the the challenge is do you want me to enjoy your story or do you just want to kick my in. Yeah. Because I'm not going to come over once a week if you're just going to kick my in, if that's what the game's about. That's kind of what the topic here is. Looking at video games, there are many video games, most video games, that start out easy and get harder and harder and harder. They they introduce more challenge to you as the game goes on. Then there's video games like XCOM where it starts out very hard and then I don't want to say it gets progressively easier. It it actually, the game gets progressively harder. It's just that your slope of ability far outpaces it. So it is actually becomes easier and easier by design. It sounds as if it is rewarding your your experience. Right. It's it's rewarding your skill. Well, and I'm sure some of this from the standpoint of video game developers is, of course, they don't know where you individually are going to be at. It's possible that you falter in the early game And as a result, by the time that, let's say, someone who's doing well is skating right past all the challenges, this person who maybe faltered a bit in the early game didn't get that momentum. And so they come into it now. And if the game was going to keep pace with, let's say, where Chad's at by that point in the game, they couldn't beat it or could not get anywhere with it. You saw a similar thing with some of the RPG games like Final Fantasy, where if they ramp up the challenge too much, they don't know if you're coming into this, the final boss fight at level 50 or level 100. And so they have to make the boss fight workable for either of those. And what they ended up doing in Final Fantasy, in a lot of the games, was the actual end boss fight was, comparatively speaking, not all that challenging. Usually the most challenging boss in the Final Fantasy games were optional side bosses. Those were the ones where it's like if you really tweak your characters out, because then you have to go and seek them. Yeah, you'd have to go and seek them out because in some of the games, I mean, I'm thinking back Final Fantasy X, I think Final Fantasy VII was the same way. I was literally going into the final boss fight 
and one shot killing the bosses. And if it took more than one shot, it was only because there were hard-coded modes they had to go through. So, like, I kill him in one form, and then he assumes a second form, so it takes a second shot to kill a second form, lather, rinse, repeat, until I kill him in one shot in his final form. But I remember... But then again, you like grinding, or at least back then. Well, yeah, and I... I well, I, I, I won't say you like grinding. No one likes grinding. You grind. I couldn't help. I, could, you could, yeah. I had a problem. We, we had an intervention. I had a problem. And, you know, was, actually, you don't do that anymore. Either. Not as much. Yeah. Uh, it's not nearly as bad. There are a few games where I have Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Right. I did grind out most of the stuff in that, but honestly... But you had fun doing it. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, Black Flag was a great Assassin's Creed game. Right. If you don't like the series, pick up Black Flag. It stands... Sea shanties. It, 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 sea shanties, yeah. dude. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. But it's an inside <laughs> joke there. But anyway, all right, so the point so, being, what we're yeah, talking it, about is in tabletop role-playing games. Right. Is, Does that concept translate? Right. Because you can also talk about, like, Nintendo hard, where, like you said, it's kicking your dick in the moment you walk in the door all the way to the final boss fight that you never see because it's kicking your dick in so hard. Yeah. Only 2% of so, the population well, are good enough to get there. And, well, you know, I think we should also separate out what the challenge means. Right. Because the simplest way to look at challenge in a role-playing game is, of course, the difficulty of the combat encounter. Right. And if we look at D&D or Pathfinder or whatever, you have the challenge rating of the encounter, Mm -hmm. and they've got all kinds of math set up to work out. Well, if you have a party of this level that has this many people, then this is probably about the mix of monsters you want to put them up against. And I think they even refined it down so far, at least in D&D 3.x, that it was... Was it 20 or 25% of a party's resources if I'm not mistaken, per yeah. encounter? Yeah. I mean, they tried to really work out that math. And, you know, of course, you gain levels and the monsters gain levels. So combat difficulty, yeah. right? But that's not the only But kind that's of not challenge. the only kind of challenge. So, for example, we could have a game that, let's say, is a mystery game. Mm-hmm. It's a Call of Cthulhu game or it's just some kind of general Sherlock Holmes type game where the first mystery is real easy and the later mysteries get harder and harder and harder. Let's go back to the three clue rule. Maybe you want your party to pick up on something, but it's it's supposed to be an investigative game. So in the early parts of the game, I give you three pointers to each clue. So like you need to know this guy's a vampire. So you see a glass the of world bl- is a vampire. <laughs> so you see, a gl- I hate that band. <laughs> so you see a glass of blood in his room. You notice there's no garlic in his herb rack and he won't walk over the threshold of your house without being invited Mm -hmm. there's your three clues to point to him being a vampire but if you're trying to up the challenge to make the party pay attention and think well maybe you don't give them any of these clues or you give them only present the world as is and if they see it yeah exactly and you could have challenge a role playing where it's possible to convince somebody of something but if you have not reached a certain point in character development or understanding of this NPC, you're not going to get past it. There's not too many survival sorts of games, like survival resource types games, but you could have a game where as it goes on, food becomes more scarce instead of less scarce, and so it becomes harder and harder. So while I think we can talk about the difficulty in terms of your hit dice versus my hit dice, I certainly don't want to narrow the topic right, down right. to that is the only kind of difficulty yeah. we're talking combat about. is definitely a challenge but it's not the only challenge no it's kind of the easiest go-to well sure because if nothing else is quantifiable absolutely because i can talk to you in, in very very simple terms 
about what it means for an eight hit die monster or a challenge rating X monster mm-hmm. to come up against my character that has a different or a phase rip remarkable flow monster. Which <laughs> <laughs> we'll either have already made sense or will make sense in the next episode we release. I have to support or we're going to do these then. But the point being, I think phase rip is a template for life. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, I think it's the easiest one because it's quantifiable. If I talk about a mystery game, you know, one of the things that I've always enjoyed, and I, I think most people that read these kinds of stories, even incidentally, do the same thing. Does anyone not read a mystery book or watch a mystery movie and not make at least some half-ass attempt to figure it out? Do you want me to be the voice of dissent? Because I don't try and figure it out. Well, and then that's I, I, fair enough. I, but, I, but I think you would have to concede that most people do. Oh, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. Right. People go into it, they they try. But in a role-playing game, the point of a yeah. mystery game is to figure right. it out. So right, obviously, right. So, in that scenario, you're not a passive audience but member. Yeah. I, I can tell you there are some mysteries that I have watched. Right. I, I've been at mystery dinners or murder theaters sure. or whatever the hell they call them. Murder theaters. I don't know. <laughs> Obviously, you made it out alive. So, <laughs> I guess I won. <laughs> or, the murder is me. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> the nightmares <laughs> say otherwise. <laughs> I'm going to need to lay low for a little bit. <laughs> I just have this scenario in my head where somebody keels over, you hear a screaming voice looking down at the body, and then Dan just <laughs> drops his wine glass. He's like, peace, bitches. <laughs> Who's going to survive? This out. (laughs) And then there was one. (laughs) But that is a great Agatha Christie book that I cannot give the original title of because it's incredibly offensive. Is it really? Oh, yes. But as I go through different mysteries, there are some of them that I have I've been able to solve as I'm playing through them, watching them, whatever, you know, including some of these murder mystery dinner theaters. I've saw I've won a couple of those. There's other ones where I have no idea. And sometimes it's because I didn't catch the clues. Other times the author kept you strung out by, quite frankly, not giving you the clues. So for me, like a book or a movie that that is a pure mystery, Uh, like I I like the Craig Johnson Longmire series, both the TV show and I love the books. Even though I'm mysteries are not my total jam, I just am plugged into a couple it's like riding a horse, which for a Longmire mystery, it's kind of he's a cowboy, but uh, or sheriff. It's like riding a horse. I start the book and I get on the horse and it is not about the journey and it's not about the destination and it's not about what you see in between. It's about the enjoyment of riding the horse. For I me. get that. But in a role-playing game, it's totally different because right, I'm right. an active participant. I'm trying to right. figure this I, out. And I, th- I think a great example of where you enjoy just the process of writing the horse would be a Sherlock Holmes book. Mm-hmm. The authors, Arthur Conan Doyle, he does not present you with enough information no. to solve the mystery. Because, for example, you'll have Holmes saying things like, well, did you notice he was well-dressed like a fine gentleman, but he was wearing this one brand of shoes that only a co-worker would wear. Well, how would the reader possibly right. have known that? Yeah. It's not like... Because it isn't presented until Holmes says Yeah, it. you don't have a picture of the person to look at. And so there are things that get revealed. Once again, the point being, though, that it's a different level of difficulty. If you figure out Sherlock Holmes' mystery before you get to the end, it was either lucky or maybe it was one of those few stories where he did give you enough information. But the, the point here being, 
when we talk about difficulty, I think it is fair to talk about quantifiable mm-hmm. difficulty, but it doesn't have to be. And I think I would start by asking, what is the game about? Right. And, and when I say what's the game about, I don't mean the plot. What motivated the game master to run the game and what is motivating the players to play it? Yeah. Because when I play XCOM, that's what I'm trying to play as a video game is I am trying to see if I can survive enough to get established and to turn the tide of the conflict. Well, once the tide is turned, you know, then obviously things are going to be easier. So it doesn't bother me. Mm -hmm. If I am playing a game like Final Fantasy, I want to be working up towards the gigantic boss. The treadmill up is part of the fun of the game. Precisely. And I'd say the same thing in a role-playing game. If I sit down and we're going to play Temple of Elemental Evil, mm-hmm. or we're going to play some kind of a game that's, yeah, it's about you start off at first level, and we're going to go up in levels, and you're going to get followers, and you're going to establish a castle, and you're going to get people under you, and you're going to start dealing in bigger and bigger politics and eventually confronting gods or whatever it is you're going to do, that, yes, I, I think I'd absolutely want that in there, but... I think I would start by asking, what is the purpose? What is the type of narrative experience that both the players and the game master are even trying to get out of this game? Well, I think that the default answer that I think a lot of game masters would go for as far as, well, well, what should challenge should be harder at the beginning or harder at the end or should it be is going to be no, it should be a flat line. It should be as challenging at the beginning as it is at the end. It's just the trappings are different. At the beginning, you're trying to kick in a house cat, and it's kicking your butt, but you eventually overcome it. And at the end, you're trying to kick in the head of a god who's kicking your butt, but eventually you overcome it. And it should be this flat line, and I'm like, I disagree with that. I think that's good in some ways, but... You know, uh, you know, Brodor's making the sine wave. You know, he he wants ups and downs, and I might dine to let him speak here in a moment. But, <laughs> well, it's challenging on this show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for me, it, it is exactly what you're saying, Dan. It depends on the game. My for instance would be in a D&D game, yeah. I don't want harder as it goes on. I don't want easier as it goes on. I want well, the house cat and the god to yeah. be of equal level. I want, a, I want a different type of conflict. Right. And the scope of the conflict might change. But I one of the things that I have always, always been... Oh, see bit, the challenge. He interrupted my for instance. Well, <laughs> damn it. And now it's going to go to Brodor and I'm going to lose it. Is it? Did, I don't know. I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. No. One of the, one of the things that I've always been befuddled by is when I sit in a game campaign and the game master's ramping up the difficulty from easy to hard despite the fact that everyone at the table is, number one, a veteran player in general, and number two, familiar with the system. Now, when I was running that Star Trek game for my family, these people were not that deeply... Some of them were not that deeply familiar with Star Trek. Some of them were not that deeply familiar with role-playing games. None of them were deeply familiar with the rules system. And so there was a lot of learning that had to go into that. So I had to give them really low and slow pitches to let them get up to it before it's finally like, okay, you're making these do or die decisions mm-hmm. because it wouldn't, they needed that training period. The same way a video game needs a training period, just so you get a sense of what button does what right. without it destroying you. Thanks. But, but, <laughs> but I've never understood that in a veteran group of role players 
especially once again, if they're familiar with the game, why are we ramping this up? Broder, I will pass it to you. <laughs> oh, so, damn it. Dan and I were talking before the show. Yeah. And what I had said to Dan, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't want to tread the topic too much, but what I had said to Dan was, at first level... I can scale a challenge on a difficulty rating of 1 to 10. Right. And I can do the same thing at 10th level. And again, reminding people, combat, social, puzzles, right. whatever. But for for me as a game master, I want to have those ebbs and flows, right? Mm-hmm. I want it to have a roller coaster of difficulty. Right. Because sometimes i got to tell you as a player, it's really, really fun to just have a very decisive and resounding victory, mm-hmm. whether it is you persuading the local magistrate to allow you to do something that they wouldn't normally let you do, or right. whether it is we, this fight was, you know, we were, had it all built up in our minds that this combat encounter was going to be terrifying and we just clean their f-ing clocks. Mm-hmm. Those are fun, but by the same token, I think it's important that the players have those extremely difficult challenges, yeah. but then overcome that challenge. But regardless of what kind of game I'm running as a game master, I think it's important for me as mm-hmm. a storyteller to have both types of challenges. The ones of moderate difficulty to the easy to the tremendously challenging. Right. See, and I'm going to interrupt my own four instance. I'm never going back to that. It was about like rebels and about making the game harder and Mm -hmm. then it gets easier as you overcome. But anyway, what I like in general, again, to get back to Dan, one of Dan's original points is that what is the purpose of the game? What is the theme? What are you going for? I think that is very, very important to understand when, when looking at, at how to ramp up or down challenges in general, what I like to do is the challenge is very difficult near impossible for the players to achieve unless the players work at it. And and I don't just mean, oh, it has a thousand hit points. So now they need to roll 10,000 more dice and spend five more hours kicking in the shins to suck down the hit points to where they can do it. No, I mean like pre-work thought. I want them to come up with a good plan. I want them to be creative. I want them to be clever. I want them to be funny. I want them to Look at the problem. I want my players to stop. Just stop yeah. for a moment and think there about was, it. There was a story right along those When they lines. do that, suddenly it gets easier, not because I change it, but because they rise to the They occasion. have a better understanding sure. of yes. the challenge. Difficulty yep. becomes a path instead of a moment. Yep. I, you could look at difficulty a moment, like Broder said. Uh, you can have a difficulty of 1 to 10 no matter where the characters are at. So let's go back to D&D terms. If you're at first level, you can choose to have an encounter where the entire party of four or five adventurers deals with two kobolds. Mm-hmm. That's obviously not real difficult. Conversely, you could have something where these four or five first level characters run into half a dozen orcs. And this is going to be... <laughs> Those guys are... They're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> that's a puck. It's going to be a much more nail-biting, probably catastrophic battle. Same thing. Once you get to ten hit dice... You can have something where you run into a couple of, you know, kind of mid-level undead, not that big of a deal, to you run into three golems, and yeah. and all of a sudden this becomes very difficult. Or so, you could, from the other way, too, you could say, you're a bunch of thieves in the gutter, and then you want to tell off the the captain of the guard. Mm-hmm. No, you're going to get your ass kicked, you're going to get thrown in jail. But now, after you've played a lot, you'll run the Thieves Guild in the city. Well, Captain of the Guard, 
I don't want to talk to him. He's too low level, and he's already in my pocket. Right. We're going to the king. Mm-hmm, so. Right. Uh, yeah, and so you can certainly think of it in those cases the moment, but I think it can also mm-hmm. be a process. There was a story that I believe I told a couple episodes back, and I, I don't know in how much detail I told it, but I was running a Star Trek game for, not my family, it was a different group some years back, where there was... Was I in this group? I believe you were, actually. Ah, what was I playing? I don't remember. I don't either. But I, the, one of those blue dudes with the white hair and the little antennae. Oh, oh my God. No. I absolutely love Strand. Strand. Star Trek Enterprise. I would watch an entire spinoff show that was just about him. But, no, I, I don't think Chad was playing an Andorian. But what happened is fairly early on, a Romulan bird of prey, a cloaking Romulan ship, which is what the, the Klingon bird of prey was spun off from, basically comes out of nowhere. And while well, they've got their shields down, aren't ready, you know, aren't at battle stations. Right. Caught them with their pants down. And right. basically tears them up. I mean, leaves the ship in just total tatters. And, and while this was going on, there were, there were two plots. There was a plot on the ship, but there's also a plot on the planet below. As in a good Star Trek episode. Right. Yeah. And right. so there were people that were beaming down to the planet, but there were also people that were staying on the ship. And one of the things that they were trying to do, because there's this Romulan ship that kind of wanted them around a little bit longer, but they knew they were eventually going to be, you know, they knew eventually that the Romulans were going to kill them. There was no question about that. But they're keeping them around for a little bit longer. And... The crew down on the planet was dealing with whatever the issue was there. I don't remember. Whatever science mystery. And now if you look at the basic setup of what's going on in space, you had an effectively untouched Romulan warship, which, you know, if if you if anyone's familiar with the original series, had the plasma torpedoes, which did enormous amounts of damage, especially at close range. And it's got its shields up and is basically fully fine. And there is this barely functional think enterprise after the first encounter in wrath of Khan, you know, sparking, nothing's working. We've got the tiniest amount of power available. I mean, just the the ships and tatters. And what happened was by working with the people on the planet and going, doing this long psychological game. I remember none of and, and, and mind screw with the Romulans is they slowly convinced them that to accomplish whatever it was on the planet, which the Romulans had some vested interest in, I don't remember the details, but they had some vested interest in that they were going to have to basically allow the use of a transporter, which meant that the Romulans would have to drop their shields because you can't beam through a shield in the Star Trek. And so the Romulans were going to have to drop their shields. And this ship, their ship, the Federation ship, was still basically wrecked. But Kevin, who was playing the chief engineer, had managed to get one torpedo racked. And so they had one torpedo launcher and they had one shot, one fish in the tube. And what they did was, and it was this, this is what you're talking about. They worked for it. I mean, the Romulans were not stupid. I was not playing them as morons. They're like, we're not putting our shields down. You know, we're Mm -hmm. not stupid. And they, Oh, well, you guys are like what? First, second level. This is only your third game. Yeah, let's 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 put the shields down. We'll give them a yeah, shot. Yeah, you know? but no, it wasn't like that. I mean, the Romulans really—it's like you had to sell them in a plausible way, and the group did. The group really—I don't remember because this this was like twenty years ago. Well, we were handsome and clever. Yes, so. <laughs> but, but the group did sell them on a reason to drop their shields, 
And the moment they did, that one torpedo, that one, they had one shot, and they didn't even have, like, I think the weapons grid was down. They had to fire it from the torpedo bay. And they launched it, and when they rolled the hit, it went straight up the center of the superstructure of the Romulan ship and just literally blew the ship in half. <laughs> and that was that. And the point is, I mean, now, now, certainly they, they rolled for this, and there were die rolls involved and yeah. such. They could have done a glancing hit off of a warp nacelle, and it would just have annoyed the Romulans. They did land, I mean, a straight center of mass hit, with a hell of a bomb. Mm-hmm. But the point is that there was a challenge in there that the final shot, I mean, a photon torpedo on an unshielded ship, not all that difficult to destroy them. Right. But getting, but there. convincing a Romulan ship to take down its shields when Romulans are all about deceit, manipulation mm-hmm. and lies. I mean, this is their home turf yeah. and you're trying to convince them to basically fall sucker for the sort of plan they would do right i mean that was something they had to work towards throughout the difficulty of the game and you know i maybe this was something about my gming style but one of the things that i always do when i gm is i have in mind ways that situations could be solved but i very rarely have a path set out for how it will be solved well i think that's that's important is that when you're talking about the level of challenge you know the difficulty of that challenge mm-hmm. do you as the game master have alternate solutions for that challenge because as a player i know it's extremely frustrating particularly in an investigation style game where you just you hit this wall yeah. you know there's there's no clues there's no hints coming from the game master there you don't see collectively as the group of players a solution around the challenge and that can be extremely frustrating right Right. Yeah, and I think that's something that I have talked about in the past, and I, I'm going to amend something I've said, which is that I've never been a big fan of games where you are pretty much set up to lose, outside of yeah. con games where who cares. But I think I'm actually, paranoia. I, I think I'm going to amend that paranoia a little bit to say that I think what actually bothers me more <laughs> is the games where I feel like there's no way forward. Yeah, Whether it's combat difficulty... Mm-hmm were what we ended up calling the Richard Pryor games. We were just running scared. Yeah, because the there, there was a skit, I think it was on In Living Color, called uh, Richard Pryor Scared for No Reason. <laughs> and and all it is is Richard Pryor like walking yeah. around his kitchen making cereal, <laughs> but everything in the room is like... He opens the, the, the refrigerator and the light comes on. He's like, ah! And uh, he takes out the milk, and the milk like, is terrifying him. And so we started calling those, because of that skit, mm-hmm. we started calling those Richard Pryor games where all you do in this game is run scared from every enemy that's put out there because that's what the GM has in mind. They don't know how to control you, or this is the type of game that they want to run. But it's and, not about controlling you. Well, I mean, that's, that's a subject for another episode. Well, right, 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 right. I agree. But the point is they, they're worried that you're going to run roughshod over everything yeah. that's set up. And so the only way they know how to manage you is to put your second level, and they're going to put a level 20 enemy everywhere you shouldn't go. 
and use that to hurt you. Right, but by that, but I mean the counterpoint to that is is that in in a role playing game, unlike a video game, there's not somebody with their name or monster type or title hanging above their head well, in a in color that I know, in mm-hmm. a color that I know. Oh, that guy has a purple name, right. so he is friendly. On, oh, that person has a red name with a skull by it. I definitely can't encounter that person. Yeah. Role playing games don't work that way. So sometimes the players will insist on putting themselves in a situation <laughs> where they are endangered by something that right. is a more potent challenge. Now, I think that as the game master, you have you have a responsibility to telegraph that to your players. See, and I think but, that's what bugs me, is, is not per se failure in a role-playing game, but I think it's because of the fact that so many times I encountered failure in a role-playing game. It was always in the context of, Either A, we were not being allowed to succeed, right? or B, we were only being allowed to succeed at the pace and in the direction that the Game Master had in mind. Yeah, that's just and, not and, good Game Master. Right. And it's why am I showing up? It's Chad and I played in a World of Darkness mystery game where we were playing regular humans, and we shook out every clue we could, right. every lead oh, we could, God. every everything e- we could. Even to the point where you think... You've done every like a mystery has somebody gets murdered or whatever, and you have done everything, every single thing you can think of. And then we're sitting here of, okay, what is the most unrealistic, whacked out crap that we could do to further the investigation that we wouldn't yeah. do in character, but we're going to do anyway? Just because clearly there must be something right. that GM wants to do. We're not seeing, and we well, do all of that. And so we walk into the room. It's like describe the room. There's a light fissure. Fine, I'm taking apart the light fixture. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, everything, every noun, every adjective, n- nothing. I, to this day, I don't have any idea what it is we were supposed to do. We did this for... I don't think he had anything. I don't know. All I know is we literally did this for hours, mm-hmm. got nowhere, and Chad finally snapped and said, my character goes home and goes to bed. Yeah. Not as in, like, for a nap, but as in, like... I'm done. It's been a long day. <laughs> I've put in enough OT. Yeah. I'm going on. I'm done, and tomorrow I'm probably going to be working a burger. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, this vampire crap, it's a little too mysterious for me. And it, yeah, it was nonsense. Now, and from a game master, so I, I'm going to be representing your game master guild here. Okay, or good. Or union good, good. or whatever it is, because obviously you've abandoned it in favor of players, and somebody has to take up the mantle. <laughs> oh, man. I hope I haven't sounded pro player. <laughs> you, I mean, just so everyone's clear, <laughs> I am not pro player. <laughs> you I hate them. Yeah, my games are game master facing. <laughs> in fact, you'd prefer it if the players just didn't show up to ruin your game. Uh, there's a couple guys I still want to be there. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not a Game Master screen. It's just a three-part mirror unfolds. <laughs> so what do you do? I do that, too. <laughs> but I've used permanent marker to draw a facial hair on each mirror yeah. so I can look like a different person. I'm sorry, Chad. You don't want to break saying, the immersion. Yeah. yeah. So Game, game so, Masters are better. I got it. Yeah, Game Masters are better. So, like, uh, I, I have my fake ID to the Game Masters Guild now. Okay. So from the other side of it is I have found that I have presented challenge to the players and the players have rejected it because the players want to win. They want to win. They want to go forward. They want to succeed. And it's always win, 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 win. And if you 
present them with challenge that I don't even say stop impedes their win train, then they don't like that. They're like, oh, I don't know. Oh, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And I've had people complain about that. And that's why I'm pro game master and anti-player <laughs> because yeah. players don't accept that in good storytelling, there must be downbeats well, for the character. I, Otherwise, the character's journey is not interesting. I fully support that to be a good story, there has to be failure. Right. And so many people I game with currently and so many people I've gamed with in the past hate failure. Now, in their defense, maybe the reasons they'd give is, you know, you know, life's a piece of shit. It kicks me in the ass. I go to work. I have this job I hate. And, you know, I have this drama when I role play. It's my escape. And I want to play a crazy gilded god who just, you know, lays down and you know guess what's coming to him and it's every night is saturday night for my character <laughs> right but and, well, well let, let me let me let me counterpoint that a little bit and now i now use use like a dick metaphor <laughs> i can't without there, there's no way how, to, how how is your character laying this pipe down <laughs> but I, I, it's about which hole <laughs> yes because look I think, there, yes, you're right. There are some people out there right. where it's they don't want failure, period. Right. I think there are... For other, legitimate reasons yeah, that I disagree with. Ba- but, yeah, right. It's the, the bad wrong fun. They're today. wrong, but, but they're the, having fun. The other way I look at it, though, is to say that it's not necessarily about maybe they can't handle failure at all, but it's there's particular types of failure, yeah. degrees of failure, quantities of failure... You know, if, if I play a game, let's go back to video games. If I play a game like XCOM and I just breeze through every combat, I mean, well, I, you're not playing XCOM, obviously. No, I mean, I, XCOM I, punishes you. I, I played s- several games like Doom on God mode, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it was interesting just seeing the game front to back, but it really was not all that exciting. It was an incredibly boring thing. Doom 1, discovering the God Mode cheat, taught me a valuable lesson that I have to this day. And it's the lesson that we're talking about here, is that when you do something that is interesting narrative, like you're playing a game or something like that, and you cannot fail, life becomes boring. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's that old uh, Twilight Zone episode. Where the guy dies and he goes to heaven and he, you know, there's a bar there and the and every time he grabs a mug, the beer's always in it. I'm making stuff up because it's so I don't remember the thing. But the the kicker is when he starts to kind of figure some stuff out, he goes into this bar and there's a pool table and he racks it up and he hits one ball and then it hits the the all the other balls. I'm sure there's a specific name for it, but I don't play billiards. And they all the balls go instantly from that one hit into all the pockets. And then he kind of figures out, because that's what's been happening for the past half hour, 20 minutes of the episode, is every single thing he does, he succeeds at nonstop, constantly, and it takes all the flavor out of life. And that's when he learns it, that he's not in heaven. But I think, though, there is... (laughs) They're giving me that devil smile. It's it's about the right right type of pressure, right? And the right quantity of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Conversely, when I've played video games where all I do is I get my ass kicked, 
I literally don't even know what it was that killed me. Yeah. And this happens again and again and again. Eventually, it's just like, screw this. And let me give you an example. I'm going to interrupt you. Okay. Damn it. That's fine. Because it's my turn. And I can remember my point. So go on. Oh, (laughs) You can also throw some shade, apparently. But (laughs) damn. All right. So, um, God damn it. <laughs> so, so what I was uh, saying, have you ever had a player that when they you you issue a challenge and it's a player who doesn't like to fail, they you 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 have a challenge for them and they go to meet the challenge and then they 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 start to fail at it. And it's good, it's good for the story, it's good for the character, it's interesting they start to fail at it. But then they start to work the problem. And not in a good way. They they're like, "Well, okay, so I failed it." Can I try like this? Like, say they're hacking a computer, and they're the world's greatest hacker, and they've got a 99% chance of hacking the Gibson every time they do it. And this one time when it was really important, they rolled that 1% and they failed it. And it's like they should take that character moment, and it should be interesting and cool, and then you have you know repercussions that you have to deal with from that. And that makes the story. That's what we call the story here. But instead of doing that, they keep trying to work it. It's just like, well, can I get another roll? Well, no, it's not your turn. It's like, okay, well, instead, can this person do this? Okay, no, well, all right, well, I, w- I want to do this instead. All right, can we can we roll this back and maybe I do this? And they, they keep trying to work the problem and work the problem and work the problem. And then ultimately succeed. Yeah, well, and, I mean, yeah. And, you throw- and their persistence yeah. is rewarded. Right. You, well, and the point that I was going to make that actually ties right into that is there is also the question about what kinds of difficulty yeah. is someone interested in, in dealing with? A great example is in, let's go back to good old D&D, there comes a point where a, a big challenge in combat's neat. That's going to be the next version. Instead of like five year, six year, whatever the hell they're up to, it's going to be good old D and OLE apostrophe. Good old D and D. But you know, it's people are going to love that one. It abbreviates out to God. All the more reason they should think of the media attention. I know, but the the point being though that there comes a point where after facing combat after combat after combat, it's like. I don't want to deal with this. I mean, if I can just throw a fireball and annihilate everybody in the room, that's what I'm going to do because I don't want to deal with this. Honestly, my abuse of stone shape, that's <laughs> largely where it came from, right. was I was getting tired of these endless and pointlessly overcomplicated combats in the same way. XCOM 2. You have completely abandoned the GM's guild that you made. Well, no, <laughs> I, I'm speaking in favor of the GM's guild, but what I'm saying is that the GM, I think, needs to be sensitive to what it is the players want out of this game. And and part of that is, I think, most players, Mm -hmm. and there are those players who want to win always, all the time, period. But most players can handle the conflict. You have to find the type of conflict they signed up for, the type of failure they signed up for. Let me give you an example. I have a perception that I have one and a half players who did not sign up for failure. I, I, I have this perception. And I don't think you're entirely wrong. I, I think depending on who you picked, I could I could maybe argue the point. But let's go back to XCOM 2. Right. I was totally fine with certain struggles of the game. The fatality, the lethality mm-hmm. of combat. If you've never played XCOM, motioning to Brodor, obviously, that's it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like Game of Thrones with aliens. Yeah. It's like you have your... 
it's a role-playing game. Your guys have stats. They level. You name them. You pick their look. You pick their equipment. You nurture and an them. An alien up, sniper and blows their brain out. It just not only blows their brains out, but smears their brains all over their person who's standing behind them, who panics, runs away, and in their panic, throws a grenade, but misses and blows up two more of their friends. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. That is the XCOM right. experience. And see, right and when I play XCOM, I'm okay with that. That's what you signed That's what up I signed for. up for. Yeah. What I did not sign up for, that has never been in any game prior to the current version of XCOM 2. So XCOM mm-hmm. 2, number 2. <laughs> yeah. the, the reboot of XCOM 2 right. is I did not like the really, really tight turn budget. Mm. I did not like the idea that combat is that lethal and like 90% of the combats you end up in, you have half a dozen turns to grab the right. target and get off the map. And so this highly detailed squad-based game that's all about cover and position and, and checking your angles right. and all this stuff. And literally yep. every single time I'm on the to... field, I have to sprint at max speed to go grab a lunchbox, to sprint at max speed, to go get on the chopper, and probably nobody's going to make it anyway. And it's I so I I went out and I got a mod right, that, that removed that. Well, it, it increased. I didn't remove it because I like the pressure, but yeah. it's like back it off. Yeah. And so I got a mod that increases all of them by fifty percent. So if it's six turns, it's nine. If it was eight turns, it's twelve. So on and so forth. And so you still had a time limit. There was still mm-hmm. some pressure, but it wasn't like you were basically just doing this tuck and run ghetto Heisman, you know, <laughs> on and off the field. And in a game that's so lethal, yeah. nobody's going to survive that. Right. And you know, so it's it was not the it was not the type of pressure I signed up for. And so I grabbed a mod to pull it out. And I think game masters need to have the same sensitivity. To understand that not only are they getting the right degree of challenge, but are you getting the right type of challenge? Right. You know, I, and that's something that I, I wish my game master had gotten in that game when I started abusing <laughs> Stone Shape. Is it's like, look, I'm I'm encasing all these Bodax heads and stones, not because I'm trying to break your combat or be an ass or rules lawyer you. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm really effing sick. Yeah. Of three-hour combats against Bodax. Oh, God. I, I get it. I mean, yeah. if we want to do three hours in an Odak, can we at least do three hours at Hodax? <laughs> <laughs> Which Hodax a St. Louis thing? No. It's further south of here, I think. Uh, we, uh, it's a restaurant. Hojo's. Howard Johnson. Uh, Howard Johnson. That was a St. Louis Hodax, thing. Uh, Hodax is a St. Louis thing. Howard Johnson's. Know? used to have a picture of my dad. You'd walk into Howard Johnson's, there would be a picture of my father. Do not serve this man. Because all of them? When they had the all-you-can-eat clams, Uh my father would be there for days. (laughs) Just days. Just glutting himself on their deep-fried clams. (laughs) Did they seriously have... No. (laughs) No. Although, I do want a game. What did you say about the Ghetto Heisman? Heisman. (laughs) Yeah. That's, That's a game I want. That's that's a joke I'm probably going to have to explain at some point, because I don't know how many people are going to get the joke, Ghetto Heisman. But, all right, so I'm going to explain it. So, the Heisman Trophy, it's a foot... Never mind, right. look it up. Yeah, it's about running. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Heisman Trophy, it's, it's a trophy of a guy playing football, and he has the football 
tucked under his left arm and his right arm is out forward yeah, like he's, he's using the force yeah because he's yeah because yeah, he's because <laughs> he's like like he's running you know for the end zone yeah the the joke on the ghetto heisman is you just swap out the football for something you <laughs> stole but otherwise it's the exact same pose and that, that's the huh. ghetto heisman <laughs> so <laughs> that was the best <laughs> huh. Huh. But that that's what I did that's not what I wanted out of XCOM 2, right? Right. You know, winning the ghetto Heisman against a bunch of aliens was which you can't do because they're everywhere and kill you in one shot. It's like this is not the challenge I, I, that I want. I'm sitting here and I'm like I have the solution to his problem. It's a tactical thing within the game. But I don't want to get into it because that's yeah, not yeah. what the episode's about. Right, 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 yeah. right, right. So but, fights, fights should have purpose. There, there needs oh, to be yes. there needs to be a reason. And if the reason the com- filler, slap yourself. Yeah, precisely. There, there well, ha- we're just talking combat, right? But so there, there. I was going to say there has to be a reason for the encounter, and the encounter has to further the narrative. In terms of mysteries. I think that the three clue rule is an important one. Yeah. You have to have appropriate clues and hints for your players because just like the combat encounter being entirely too challenging, if you do not have adequate hints and clues, then you're just going to stonewall your players yeah. as just like they're fighting some monster whose armor class they can't hit or whose spell resistance they can't crack. And if you're not paying enough attention to your players to recognize what they want, what they don't want, what's working, what isn't working, which challenges are exciting them versus which are just annoying them. That's probably a skill you need to work on, or at least if you're not that good at reading people, then fine. Just ask them Mm -hmm. and get that out there because the challenge rating, it's not just about the ebb and flow of the challenge. It's not just about the level of the challenge. It's not just about knowing when to put that challenge so that it occurs at the most climactic and dramatic moments, which, by the way, I do think you should reserve it for, because mm-hmm. if you're challenging people on the most banal things, that's just going <laughs> to be annoying. Nobody wants a difficult time in a restaurant getting a soda refill. You know, it's that's not what you want out of a restaurant experience. And so I think you also have to look at whether the type of challenge that you're presenting is even what these people want and what they signed up for and, and is, is keeping them interested or is just annoying them. Yeah. And the times I can think of where I really feel the challenge was out of whack was either because I was working way too hard for something way too banal. The payoff was not worth the effort or it was because this is not the challenge I signed up to play. And if you're a player Unless the game master is just abusing you with challenge, sometimes it's okay to accept defeat. Sometimes it's okay to, you know, rise to the occasion and face the challenge, and you just don't make it. That happens. That's the realistic part of life. Well, yeah, I mean, that's... If you win and win and win It's and not win, a challenge. Yeah, then, then it, it was never it, a challenge. No, it wasn't a challenge. It might have the illusion of challenge. Right. But something you cannot fail at is it's not a challenge. I, I have a gaming story, but I'll tell you guys off the mics because I don't want to bore the audience. <laughs> but but <laughs> half I have the a, audience is like, you bastard. The I, other half is like, thank you. I, it's, it's the best combat encounter that I've ever run. And I had a large group. I had eight players. 
one of them one of them died saving the life of another player and one of them they had to leave behind in the hands of the enemy they escaped and they just left him behind because they couldn't save him i really made someone well their character this was out of fear of the con i i made their character mad by saving their life because we knew only a certain number of us were going to get out. <laughs> and I was playing the party medic, which is not surprising. I, I usually play yeah. dealers. I was playing the party medic and this was under meow, meow. And <laughs> it was, so it was an, it was an apocalypse world hack of some kind. Maybe it was actually apocalypse world. I don't know, whatever it was, it was, but is that some hack of that system? If it wasn't that system. And there was another character in there who wanted to kind of stay behind and fight the good fight. But this character had a daughter, whereas my character didn't. And so I said, if you're going to stay behind, at least let me patch you up and get you in best fighting shape. Mm-hmm. And as soon as this character kind of, you know, let their guard down a little, I shot him up on a tranquilizer and threw him on the getaway boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, I can't let you do that. And see, that is an excellent failure to accept. Yeah, that I wanted to fight the good fight, stay behind, sacrifice myself. Mm -hmm. But somebody else took my place because they realized that my character had a greater purpose. Right. Somebody else made that decision for me. And maybe their survivor's guilt. Maybe eventually you see your daughter and come to realize that that was the right choice. I don't know. I mean, it was it was it was a con game. It didn't play out in campaign format. So I don't know what the longer repercussions would have been. But it was still it created the opportunity for good story if it had been a, a long game. Yes. So, Whereas if everything had gone down exactly according to plan, it would have been... Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying boring, but it would not have been. But it wouldn't be a story we were telling. No, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't remember it as a story See, worth telling. that's kind of what I was exploring with my bridge troll ward in our Dresden game. The guy lived under a bad sign. You know, in his backstory and how I played him in his life, nothing ever went his way to say he had bad luck just doesn't do it justice. Bad luck is going and, you know, putting money in a slot machine, not winning. Nothing ever worked in Ward's favor. Nothing did. And it was constant failure. And it was great. It was a wonderful story that I was playing this sort of tragic nihilist who was like, instead of, being a coward, Donnie, he was actually like a, a fun and happy guy. And he really, part of it was that he looked at the good things in life instead of the bad things. The other thing is that he was naive and didn't understand that he lived under this bad side. That he was constantly getting crapped on. Gone. Yeah. Well, and I, his got... greatest achievement is when he saved the city and he saved everybody and he stood off the summer and winter queens and he united all these fae and they made him his king and at that moment his closest friend murdered him and dumped him into the river knives him in the back knives him in the back and dumps him in the river and it's just like yes 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 that is failure 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 and it is wonderful it was absolutely wonderful loved it it was a failure you signed up for. Exactly. I mean, it, the story that we told some, and I, I realize we're kind of up on time here, but it was the story that we told uh, some episodes back about the character that you had set up that you mm-hmm. said you wanted yes. to die, you know, at, at this, this sort of ultimate throwdown. Yeah. And his life, I mean, he came from a difficult background. 
He had suffered a lot of tragedies that had driven him to be a very desperate man. Mm -hmm. And he ended up dying, destroying a fool's peace, right? Destroying, you know, a Neville Chamberlain sort of peace. Mm -hmm. And he died. Yeah. But you succeeded in the way you wanted to Mm -hmm. and yet failed in the ways you're okay with. And I, and I think that right there is the punchline is to understand. I mean, in truth, I don't think it really is about, the I, I know when we started talking about this, I said that well, you got to watch the the quantity of mm-hmm. challenge. But the more that I think about it, I don't think it's even the quantity. I think it really is just the nature of the challenge. Because whether you're putting me up against a dragon that's going to totally kick my ass, or a bunch of kobolds that I can just brush aside, if I feel like I want to be a part of this story, I don't know that I care. Right. I mean, I think the one thing that I'd be against is is the for anyone who's seen it, the Godzilla versus Bambi thing <laughs> of where I just yeah. appear and a, a dragon just <laughs> and just steps on me, and that's the end of it. And it's like, well, glad I showed up for that. Right. No. Nope. <laughs> so anyway, check the show notes. I don't know. Oh, no, there's be some links to some other yes. interviews and such in there. And I, so. I, I just want to say thank you to the Patreon backers because my ass oh feels my great. God. It's so oh good. Oh my God. It's, it's so it's good. I seriously, we, we've recorded two episodes. Yeah. And again, I feel like that I'm 10 minutes into episode one on the old chair. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so anyways, thank you guys my for ass. tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. My ass. <laughs> this has been a production of Fear the Booth, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.